You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1015 of the Lot on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Monday evening into Tuesday morning. And today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Well, 95 calories, two plus carbs, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in the episode. Today's podcast will focus on game four and a memorable showing for the Hawks, a comeback win at home, 103-100 over the Sixers. Hawks trailed by as many as 18 points in the first half. They did not play well out of the gate. Looked to be in some trouble, to be sure. But from that point forward, they turned it on. John Collins was awesome after halftime. Trey Young was his normal self. 18 assists, a near franchise playoff record for Trey. And Hawks just made plays on the stretch. They played better defense after halftime. They stopped Joel Embiid for the first time in the series. And the end result um, of some what I, would, what I would describe as appropriate urgency in Game 4 was basically a must-win for the Hawks to come back and do that. It was an awesome scene at State Farm Arena, and it became a win. So we'll, we'll dive into that as we always do on the podcast. And thank you, as always, for listening. Please subscribe and all of that fun stuff. Uh, pre-game, no surprises, um, at least before the <laughs> before the first buzzer uh, actually went off. We'll talk about this in a second with Trey Young's uh I guess, ailing shoulder, but no Hunter, no Reddish and Goodwin for the Hawks. Danny Green off of the Sixers, Joel Embiid ends up playing, although he was listed as questionable. He was not his uh, dominant self in this game. After uh, being awesome in the first three games, he was not that in this game, which we'll come back to later on. Our friends at BetOnline.ag actually had the Hawks as three-point home underdogs by tip-off. That was at least a little bit surprising, but you know, Philadelphia had been, the, had been obviously the better team the last two games, and uh, the Hawks ended up coming back to cover that spread and win the game outright. Today on the road to the finals, our NBA playoff coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Only worth it if you enjoy it. 95 calories, 2.6 carbs. We can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. So we'll dive in now to the first quarter. And uh, not a lot to be excited about, really, in the entire first half for the Hawks. Um, the first quarter was 28-20, to 20, but at the, out- at the outset, actually, the Hawks led 10-4. to 4. It was very cold for both teams. Philly missed their first five shots. The Hawks are one of five. Uh, Bogdanovich actually was the only guy scoring in the early going for the Hawks. He had ten of the first six, ten of the first sixteen for Atlanta, but a twenty to four run by Philadelphia sort of gave them the control of the proceedings for most of the night. Um, so after the Hawks led ten to four, it was twenty to four immediately back for Philadelphia. They go up by ten. A couple of point blank misses by Capella and even Collins at the rim from Trey. A bunch of just missed shots near the rim that have to be made. The Hawks scored two points in about six minutes in the first quarter. They were 523 from the floor. They missed 10 straight shots. Even Trey missed a pair of free throws. He was uh, sort of favoring his shoulder. And after the game, just we'll do this now, I guess, um, Trey was taped up on the right shoulder. And after the game, he and McMillan both expressed that the young actually did not tell the training staff, apparently, about this, at least according to the way they told it. Um, when he took his warm-up off, that was the first time that McMillan reportedly uh, saw <laughs> the uh, tape of any kind on on Trey's shoulder. And when he came out in the first quarter, there was a massive wrap-up uh, job by the training staff on his shoulder. And Trey said he was playing on adrenaline in the second half. Something to keep an eye on for sure. He's not on the injury report, to be to be clear. Um, but he said he was uh, definitely you know sort of sore by the end. And we'll keep an eye on that rest of the series. But that was sort of the early storyline, in addition to the Hawks not playing very well, was Trey's shoulder. 
Uh, rotationally, the Hawks actually went to Tony Snell as the first sub who came in for Kevin Herter, who actually started this game. I should have said that earlier on, but Herter actually started. Solomon Hill did not play at all. So it went from starting the first three games to DNPCD for Hill, and they played and sort of leaned, I think, again, very appropriately on the starters in this game in a must-win scenario. All five guys played 35 minutes or more. That was the right decision. Um, they went sort of bench-heavy, though, at times. It was a Lou Williams, Tony Snell, Gallinari, Okongwu, and Bogdanovich lineup at the end of the first quarter for one one period of time. They actually went to Herter for, for bogey in the last in the last minute or so. A couple of nice blocks by Okongwu, uh, one at the end of the first quarter, one at the beginning of the second quarter that were uh, very, very nice to see. Um, but, you know, down by eight, that felt pretty ugly given all the opportunities the Hawks actually missed. Actually, many, many people say this is not just my original thought, but the Hawks... I thought generated probably as good or better overall shot quality in this game when compared to Game 3. In Game 3, they scored a lot more efficiently than they did in Game 4, but it was just a lot of missed shots, like a lot of makeable around the rim, uh, open threes. They were 7 of 28 from the floor and 2 of 9 at the rim in the first quarter. 20 points uh, in the entire period. The only bright spots continued to be bright spots in the entire game. Ball security was a huge part of this for Atlanta. Now, they shot the ball terribly all night long, but they took care of the ball. And given that Philadelphia sort of relies on that um, transition offense, turnover creation, the Hawks taking care of the ball was, a, I think, an underplayed storyline that I'll come back to throughout this podcast. Um, still, you know, Embiid was not very good in the first quarter, and that kind of allowed the Hawks to hang around a little bit more. They stayed bench-heavy in the second quarter for the most part, another block by, uh, by Conklin that I mentioned before. The Hawks missed their first five shots of the first, so they were 7 of 33 from the floor at one point. Um, there were some, uh, you know, offensive foibles on both sides. And, uh, the first injury question mark for Philadelphia after the Trey shoulder thing was in B went to the locker room for about six minutes of game time. He came back in, but when he came back in, he was not particularly himself. He was pretty good, uh, at least better in the first half, but after halftime, he was a non-factor, at least by his standards. So the Hawks did chip away with an 8-1 run, cutting it down to three, um, when they went with an offense-only lineup with Young, Lou, Bogdanovich, Gallinari, and Collins. Uh, Lou Williams actually picked on Antares Maxey with a pump fake. That's a line. That was a nice uh, sort of vet play by him. Trey hit back-to-back threes. And the first one was kind of bizarre, I made note of. Ben Simmons just kind of let Trey shoot. He didn't really close out on him. It was a very strange play by, uh, you know, the number two defensive player of the year candidate this year in the league. But the Hawks, um, that was the one time Philadelphia was actually kind of hot in their own right. They sort of answered that little push. And then there was the second big run by Philadelphia. So they had the first 20-4 run in the first quarter. The one in the second quarter was a 12-0 run to have Philadelphia go from up 5 to up 17. And that's when the Hawks looked to be in real trouble. There was a Teon trader in that run. Actually, they missed the free throw. But the Hawks didn't score for almost three minutes after a timeout. And uh, it was definitely teetering for Atlanta in that stretch. Now, I will circle this. They were down 18 in the final minute. And then Kevin Herter scores five points in the I don't know, 35 seconds to go from 18 out of 13. I tweeted this in real time too. That's a those are those were big points. I thought, um, and that's not revision not revisionist. I, I said that live, but you know, going down going into the locker room down 18 and down 13 just feels a lot different. And uh, those were big shots from Kevin at the end of the first half. The Hawks though did not shoot the ball well at all, but still two two, two turnovers in the first period in the first half that was very very helpful. Trey was three of 12 and was definitely laboring a little bit, but he had nine assists before halftime. Philadelphia was actually pretty hot, but they but they were not um, generating the extra stuff and taking care of the ball the way the Hawks were. So that was sort of the story of the game. And uh, the Hawks still haven't done the the hack of Simmons. They didn't really need it in this game as much as they did in the first three because they were actually getting more stops. But that's sort of in their in their pocket. They want to use it. 
I probably would have done a little bit more in that first half. They didn't do it and it ended up working out all right, but something to keep an eye on as uh, Simmons continues to miss free throws. By the way, in this game, Ben Simmons was one of five at the free throw line. So uh, that's a uh, something, something to circle if they need it later on in the series. All right, before we get to the rest of the podcast, it's time to reveal the Michelob Ultra Player of the Week for this week. And this time around, it only covers two games. Game three and game four. Last week, I gave it to Bogdanovic Bogdanovic after his uh, explosion in game one when the Hawks made 23s, etc. Um, so this time, I'm going to go to John Collins. John Collins had 14 and 12 in game four. Not crazy production for him. He's a guy who's definitely used to putting up some big numbers. But after halftime, he had 10 and 7. And I thought he was genuinely awesome in the second half. That was sort of the storyline, one of the storylines, I will say, after the game. Um, Nate mentioned it. Uh, Trey mentioned it. Uh, I think that was just a very obvious observation. Um, Doc Rivers praised John Collins a lot for his toughness and energy in this game, and I would back that up for sure. And uh, he also averaged 18.5 points and 9.5 rebounds per game in the two games at home on 55% shooting. So, uh, yeah, John Collins was very, very good. Is he going to stand out in the the box score? No, but if you watch this game, you would know that particularly the third quarter, I thought John's play was huge. And uh, given the spirit of the award, I could probably give it to Trey Young every week, as I always say, and it would have been appropriate this time around. Trey was also very, very good once again, but we'll, we'll, we'll sort of be uh, egalitarian, and I'll go with John for his incredible impact in the second half of Game 4. Are you happy because you win? Do you win because you're happy? With only 95 calories, 26 carbs, only worth it if you enjoy it. In the end, joy creates success, and enjoyment isn't the end game, it's the whole game. Michelob Ultra and the Ultra Player of the Week is John Collins. All right, we'll dive in now to the second half of this game. And as I mentioned, you know, getting it to 13 felt like something. And within a few minutes, it was down to eight in the third quarter. And it was like, all right, this is this going to be a basketball game again. This is no longer a, uh, you know, blowout conditions on some level. And uh, Trey drew two quick two quick fouls. Both of those were actually, could have been shooting fouls. They were both rolled on the floor, which is kind of unlucky for the Hawks. But they got, they got into the bonus. He threw a couple of outrageous passes. And finally, the Hawks made some shots in the early going of the third quarter. After a timeout, they went big. With the, with the Gallinari-Collins-Capella lineup, that was pretty effective. Collins had two pretty big dunks, including one off an offensive rebound. Um, and B kind of went down, um, trying a Euro step that led to a fast break. Uh, Collins was foul. Collins was fouled pretty hard by Ben Simmons on a big swipe. It was correctly called as a flagrant one. I don't, I don't people wanted Simmons ejected. I thought it was appropriate to call it a flagrant one. It definitely was a flagrant foul, no question. But that ended up um, giving the Hawks a free possession because Collins makes one of two at the line. But then on, on the ensuing possession, he gets another, his third dunk, by the way, another huge dunk on a follow to cut the lead down to five. And then after a timeout, Gallinari hits a three, and the Hawks are down by two after all of that. So they basically cut it from 18 down to two in the equivalent of, like, I don't know, nine minutes of game time. Just a massive swing in Atlanta's direction. They went with Okongwu, Snell, and Gallinari down the stretch. Okongwu had a nice dunk, by the way, off a nice drop off by Trey in the latter stages of the third quarter. The Hawks were down by two at the end of the, at the end of the third, and it could have been tied. Trey, I thought, got fouled, and so did he. He was very upset at the no-call at the buzzer. The Hawks weren't crazy hot in the third quarter, but they made four threes and they had seven second chance points. Trey had six assists in the quarter alone and still taking care of the ball in a big way. Philly started to cool off offensively, and uh, that continued, we'll say. Uh, Philly scored 38 points after halftime. That is a wild low for a game which they scored 100, but 38 after halftime, 20 in the third, and 18 in the fourth. We'll get into the fourth now. Um, Right out of the gate, Bogdanovich hits a three for the first lead the Hawks had taken since it was 12 to 10 in the first quarter. They had it again briefly after a jumper by Lou. A Shake Milton had his now customary run where he actually had eight points in short order. Um, a foul on Dwight Howard that was uh, reviewed 
Um, Lou hits a three, though, cut back to one. Lots of, lots of back and forth, back and forth. Collins had an awesome help side block on Tobias Harris. Uh, the theme of his energy was definitely permeating this uh, this entire sequence. But the Hawks are down by four with eight minutes to go, and they bring Trey back in the game after a long rest. That's sort of the first mile marker that I want to lay down here. They left Lou in alongside him at first. I didn't love that. It wasn't terribly effective. Um, it was scoreless for both teams for about almost two minutes, actually, until Trey had a floater. Um, and B came back in there as well. And with six minutes to go, though, the Hawks went to the starters. And that was the lineup they closed with for the most part. There was a, a brief Gallinari entrance, but for the most part, it was it was the starting five, which is which includes Herter on the wing alongside Bogdanovich. And uh, it was that group for the most part. Um, so play-by-play play here, basically, for the, re- for the rest of the game. They tie it at 92-92. They, got, they get a stop and a lob dunk for Capella to give the Hawks the lead with five and a half minutes to go. Um, huge impact again by Collins, flying around the offensive glass, getting a tip that, that kept the possession alive. Philly really didn't score at all for like three minutes, and B just gave them pretty much nothing, and uh, that was fortunate for Atlanta in that stretch. A couple more empty, trip, empty trips in a row. The Sixers actually did not, did not score a point for five plus minutes until Ben Simmons actually made a free throw. He split. Um, he was one of two in that stretch. They got another stop from there. So again, no field goals forever by Philadelphia. Um, and B gets fouled, makes both, take a 95-94 lead. And B then stones Collins and Corkmont hits a three. And that was the only time in the fourth quarter the Hawks were actually uh, sort of on the ropes. Uh, down four at 98-94. That was a big, big shot by Corkmaz after a nice kickout pass by Ben, by ben Simmons. And then I think this is the possession of the game for the Hawks. Uh, I don't want to overstate it, but for me, if I, I, went, I went back through this before recording the podcast, if I had to choose one play from the game that I think was the difference, uh, you know, it's, it's, never, it's never one play. But if I had to pick the biggest play of the game, this, this would have been it. So down by four, but Donovan misses a three. Collins gets a flying offensive rebound, which is a huge play number one. Then it, it gets kicked around. Trey Young, a great pass to set up Collins for a corner three that he makes. And that erases the four, the three, the three by Corkma. So you go, you go from down four to down one. If they didn't score there, um, that's a chance to be teetering. You know, this is this is less than less than three minutes to go. If you don't score there, and Philadelphia does, you're suddenly in a big big hole. And again, Collins flies around, offensive rebound, and hits the three. Great pass by Trey, and uh, you cannot overstate the, the importance of that possession. Um, from there, they trade some empty possessions. Trey though hits a floater for the lead at 99-98. A few plays later, um, Corkman misses a pretty tough look. I thought the Hawks might have fouled him on that one. That would have been a big call. They didn't get it, and you know the Hawks are at home. That's uh, how that goes sometimes. Um, but that was a big one. Uh, Young then pushes in transition, draws a foul, and makes both to go up by three with 49 seconds to go. So now the Hawks are in great shape, with up three with the ball. Uh, after timeout, and B gets a foul quickly, makes both. Um, then the Hawks, though, turned it over. That was the... Uh, Worst moments of the fourth quarter stretch probably was that moment. So the Hawks come out with a chance to extend the lead. Uh, they kind of waited probably too long to go. Trey gets blitzed. They get it to Collins. Um, the idea, I, I think, what he was trying to do was drop the ball to Capella for a, for a layup of some sort, but it was too late to do that. He kind of zoomed it, and Capella went out of bounds. That was probably more on Collins than Capella, to be sure. But, um, you know, the Hawks still winning up to 16.6 seconds to go. So, you know, the lead is not comfortable at that point in time. And then the the runner-up for biggest moment of the night, other than the Collins possession, uh, was Joel Embiid just missing a pretty point-blank layup that would have given the Sixers the lead. Now, the Hawks would have got the ball back with a chance to win, so they might have still won the game. But Philadelphia uh, you know, had a point-blank chance with their best player, their all-NBA their all center, and Embiid just missed it. And that was the 12th 
consecutive missed shot by Joel Embiid. He was 0 of 12. Yes, 0 of 12 on the floor after halftime, and that was probably the easiest one of the entire second half for Embiid. Simmons knocks out of bounds uh, after review. It says with Atlanta, they had they have to foul Trey right away. He makes both. So now the Hawks, you know, you know, can't lose in regulation at least within within reason. Up three. Um, I'll be honest, the Hawks did not do a very good job defensively on that last possession. Uh, Shake Milton, for whatever reason, just thought he couldn't shoot it. Uh, not that he was going to be the best possible guy to shoot the ball for Philadelphia, but he kind of could have walked into about a 28-footer. And down three, that's not the worst shot in the world, but he, he clearly didn't want to shoot it. The guy to Seth Curry, I'm not even sure he got it off, but regardless, he missed it, and the, Haw- and the Hawks uh, managed to escape with the win. So, you know, clearly lots of ebb and flow in this one. Uh, big plays on both sides, but the Hawks defensively got a ton of stops. They were able to slow down Embiid. We'll get into that mo- more momentarily, but they end up winning the second half 54-38, to 38, and that is the anatomy of uh, winning. By the way, again, the Hawks down 18 with like a minute and a half to go in the first half, and they win by three. So they basically outscored the Sixers by 21 points in the final 25-ish minutes of this game, and that is how they are able to tie the series, and we'll send it back to Philadelphia at 2-2. Before we get to some takeaways and some individual breakdowns, etc., a word from our sponsors on today's podcast, and the first of which is BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the easiest and the fastest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season is definitely here and in full swing. You can track all the action at BetOnline.ag. Plus, in addition to baseball, the NBA playoffs are here, as you're listening to all the time on this podcast. And uh, beyond that, all the latest news, odds, and info for all of your sporting needs – of course, you have MLB and NBA, and you have NHL, UFC, MMA, golf, tennis, auto racing, horse racing, entertainment bets, all that you can think of. It's all there at betonline.ag. Before the next pitch or dribble, head on over to BetOnline on your laptop and mobile device. Check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information that you can find all in one place. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game and get in on the action. Head to the website now or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with betonline.ag. That's a 50% welcome bonus if you use the promo code Locked On. The promo code, one more time, is Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus with the site on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Today's show is also sponsored by the good folks at rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models in the car or truck world, it's now impossible to stock all the parts that you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why would you endure often pointless questioning from someone at a storefront and have to wait while someone at the counter orders the parts on the computer, only choosing the brand that the warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com right now, both at home and in your pocket. Rockauto.com is a family business, serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for all the audio and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything you need from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic car or your daily driver, get everything you need. Just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is uniquely and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your car and choose the brands, specs, and prices that you prefer. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or your truck. And from there, you went right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box to know that we sent you to them. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. Okay, and some takeaways from Game 4. Uh, a lot to get to, obviously, here. We'll start on offense. Um, a bit of a weird game to talk about offensively for the Hawks because the numbers do not really tell you that the Hawks were good offensively in this game. And they probably weren't, like, capital G good on offense. But I thought, as a broad takeaway, the shot quality was pretty decent in this game. They just didn't make a lot of shots. Particularly in the first half, they were 
bad finishing around the rim, even on some good looks. They were not shooting great from three. You know, they were 12 for 40, but 40 is a bigger number there for me. They got up 40 looks from three, and a lot of them were good. There were not a ton of bad shots from three. I think the Hawks would make more of these looks than they than they did in this game on a regular basis. So that's that. Um, they end up scoring about 1.05 points per possession, which is not very good. If you told me that before the game, I would say the, the Hawks probably lose. But um, fortunately, they played a lot better defensively in this game. But anyway, we'll go to the offense first. Um, they shot it not, not great. Um, 30% on threes, 12 of 40. 41% on twos, which is also pretty ghastly. But again, ball security. Four turnovers in the entire game. Philadelphia is a good team at creating turnovers. The Hawks are decent at taking care of the ball, but four turnovers in a full 48-minute game is a wild low number, particularly against an aggressive, talented defense. So credit to the Hawks. That's a huge part of this. You know, simply put, the Hawks attempted 15 more shots from the floor and the exact same amount of free throws. So do the math on that. The Hawks actually made the exact same number of shots, which is funny. They were 37 of 101 from the floor. Uh, Philly was 37 of 86, but... 15 extra attempts is huge, and the, um, that's the combination of turnovers, where the Hawks had 4 against 12 for Philadelphia, and offensive rebounds, where the Hawks had 12 offensive rebounds in the game, which isn't a massive number on the amount of missed shots they had, but here's a, here's a key. The Hawks had 21 points off those 12 offensive rebounds. That's a heck of a ratio, and that's very, very helpful to take advantage of second-chance points. Um, at the rim, they were 14 of 27. That's not very good. It was better in the second half. But Philadelphia was also 14 of 26, so no huge loss there. Regardless, they were okay offensively. I think better than the numbers indicate because the, just the shot making wasn't there. But you cannot overstate how important it is to win the possession battle that way. And attempting 15 more shots is just a glaring, glaring reason why the Hawks ended up holding on and winning this game. Uh, defensively, uh, number one is Joel Embiid was a different player in this game. Part of that is the Hawks, to be sure, playing better on him. I thought Capella was better defensively in this game. It wasn't just him. They were definitely in his airspace for, for the most part. Um, that's, you know, credit to the Hawks for that. I will say this, MB was the best player on the floor in the first three games. Even with Trey playing well, MB was better and was dominant, and the Hawks had no answers for him. He was not the same guy tonight physically. He did not seem as spry. He was favoring the knee more. He went to the, he went to the locker room, and, you know, he kind of settled a lot, like some weird Eurostep stuff, some, you know, I would say more jump shots. Uh, he was not as good. And again, part of that's the Hawks, to be sure. But it was definitely beneficial for Atlanta. He was not quite the same guy. And looking forward, like, I don't want to guess because I'm not a medical person. Uh, logically speaking, you would assume, um, or maybe, maybe at least if you don't want to assume all the way, you would at least say it's in play that with only one game, one day off in between games, and with the way Embiid looked here versus the way he had been looking in the rest of the series, I'd be surprised if he suddenly was just back to where he was for three games. I, don't, I could be wrong about that. But um, anyway, he was 420 from the floor in this game and 0 of 12 in the second half. You know, that's a little bit outlier weird and as to how bad it was, but he gave them virtually nothing, and that tells you how important he is, where the Hawks were able to stop them a lot easier because Embiid just wasn't the same guy. They also held the Sixers to as a team to 32% shooting after halftime and 4-16 from three. Um, part of that's just, you know, they didn't have the same kind of gravity for Embiid. Um, guys played okay for Philadelphia, but the Hawks defensively were much, much, much better to the point where I wasn't yelling about ha not hacking Simmons. I thought about it in the first half. I mentioned it in the first half. After halftime, like, they didn't need to do that. I think it's still a scenario that they probably should think about at some point because he's been so bad at the line. But the Hawks played well defensively. It was impressive to see that uptick, um, particularly in the second half. Energy level was just sky high. They were flying around. I'm sure the home crowd def definitely did not hurt that. But the Hawks played very, very well defensively 
in this game. Held the Sixers, by the way, to a 1.01-ish offensive rating, which is, uh, you know, exceptionally low compared to where they were the rest of the series. Okay, uh, individually in this game, we'll go through this quickly here. Um, a little bit lighter bench from the Hawks in this game. I had a tweet thread during the during the day portion before Game 4. Uh, talking about how the Hawks needed to play with, with an appropriate sense of urgency in this game. Uh, basically, this this was the season for Atlanta. You could say otherwise, like I, I, I even said this, if the Hawks had lost this game, the series wouldn't have been over. But realistically, down 3-1, without home court, you are fighting a massively uphill battle. So everyone had to know the urgency that was going to take part in this game. Um, as a result, the Hawks trimmed the rotation down to 9, and they also played their starters more in this game. That's what should happen. When the season's on the line, that's what should happen, and credit to McMillan, he, he, made, those, he made those tweaks in this game. Uh, Okongwu and Snell played single-digit minutes. Okongwu played six minutes. I thought it was pretty good, actually. Four points, three rebounds, two blocks. He was active. Um, you know, wasn't a great huge force offensively, but did his job, to be sure. Plugged holes, gave him energy, and I thought he was a, a general positive for him. Tony Snell was not. Uh, eight, eight minutes for Tony, no points, 0-3 from the floor, minus six. Um, you know, I thought coming in that they were probably going to go with either either one of Snell or Hill. They chose Snell, who is uh, you would think is the more is the more effective offensive player in theory. He's the better shooter, which means he has to be guarded out there. And he got free shots. He just happened to miss them all. And they were all decent looks. I think Tony Snell's going to make that sh- make at least one of those, you know, more often than not. Um, I'll be interested to see what, what, what they do in game five and beyond. But, you know, Hill was their plug-and-play starter in the first three games. I had no problem at all with him not playing. I, there basically is the same role for for one of them in Game 5. That's seven or eight minutes of just stopgap, give them some minutes, and uh, hand it over from there. Lou Williams played 14 minutes. That's probably more than he should have played, I thought. But nine points, he had a good, he especially had a good first half. Nine points, two rebounds, had a steal. Um, two of five from the floor, one of two from three, four of four from the free throw line. He didn't kill them by any means. I, I, I'm probably seen enough of the uh, of the Trey Lou minutes in general, but they, they didn't get killed, so that was okay. Um, I would just play Lou when Trey's off the floor, and that, that would be it for me in this series, which, which would have been you know, five or six minutes less in this game, but not, not a big not a big um, affront to me that they played together for a little while in this spot. And then Gallinari, 23 minutes. He was sort of the sixth man, clearly, in this spot. He wasn't fantastic, but 7.6 rebounds, um, got to the line four times, was 1-6 though from the floor, 0-3 on twos. Um, if he had it going, they might have played him a little bit more in this game. The big lineup was effective briefly in the second half. And that's a, that's a wrinkle they can go to if they need to. But he was plus eight when he was out there. He was okay despite the uh, shaky shooting. And then the starting five, all five guys played 35 minutes or more, and that's what you'd want to see. Uh, no foul trouble, at least no massive foul trouble in this game. That allowed McMillan to sort of dig in. Uh, Herter, 35 minutes, 10 points, four rebounds, two, two, two assists, I should say, two steals. Did have four fouls and was a net negative, sorry, a net neutral, zero, plus minus. Um, I thought he was fine. Uh, Herter wasn't great, but... A couple of big, big plays, you know, late in the first half. I mentioned those a few times already. Those those last five points, he, he had one more big shot that I uh, that I sort of remember uh, on a big three they needed. So um, Herder wasn't like fantastic, but he was totally fine. And playing him a lot was definitely helpful when compared to the other options. Uh, Capella was better, I think, in the first half. He was not particularly good. He was better after halftime. It's not been his best series by any means. But he had twelve. He had twelve and thirteen in this game, thirty-five minutes. He did finish better after halftime. Six and a half from the floor. I think all three misses were pretty point-blank, which is a little bit frustrating um, for onlookers, I'm sure. But I thought Capella at least gave effort and was better on the glass and was better defensively after halftime. Again, not his best still, but better. Um, 
Bogdanovich cooled off. They needed his, he was the only guy scoring early. Again, 10 of the first 16 points. He had 22 points on 24 shots, which is not great efficiency for anyone. 5 of 11 on twos, uh, 4 of 13 on threes. So not his best, but still made a bunch of big shots. There was one that I couldn't believe he missed, actually, in the fourth quarter, where he was uh, squared up and open, which is kind of rare. He usually makes that shot. but um, So sort of a mixed bag for him, but played a lot. 42 minutes, most of the entire game. And uh, that's something that definitely provides value for him. He seems to be very, very durable in terms of playing a lot of minutes. Uh, They're comfortable with him playing. He's been leading the team minutes for a long time, not even with Trey. So that's uh, that's worked out fine. And keep playing him, keep riding him. Uh, we'll go to John Collins now. I know I already mentioned his work in the Michael Ultra Player of the Week segment early on in this podcast. But 14 points, 12 rebounds, a steal, a block, plus 9. That was a game-best f- figure for anyone. And man, he was good after halftime. Uh, first half, not great, uh, especially especially the first quarter. He was not his best self by any means. Um, and by the way, six of fifteen from the floor is not very efficient. Uh, he was underwater efficiency wise in this game. But if you watch this one, you cannot be overstated how much he changed the game in that third quarter. Um, I'm not a big narrative guy, but his energy. I mean, everyone, including Philadelphia, mentioned it. How he was the hardest working guy on the floor is the way that Doc Rivers put it. Uh, he was the one. He was kind of the guy who was playing the hardest, making the most you know scrappy plays, keeping the ball alive offensively. Stuff that doesn't even fall in the stat sheet. I thought Collins was awesome after halftime, and uh, credit to him for playing very, very hard and very, very well. Um, Trey Young, sort of a mixed bag game for him. 25 points, which is solid, but eight of 26 from the floor. And uh, actually, had 30 shooting possessions. 25 points on 30 shooting, shooting possessions is uh, not good by his standards, but 18 assists and two turnovers. So an awesome ratio there. His passing continues to be his number one trait. I've always said that. I stand by it. He's an awesome scorer too, but his passing, he is uber, uber, uber elite as a passer. We saw that again in this game. He was fantastic there. I thought defensively he was scrapping and clawing and doing what he can do. He's never going to be like a game-changing positive, but I thought he was uh, notably not a big negative in this game defensively. And with plus seven, he and Collins hooking up for lots of different stuff. If Trey had his jump shot going in this game, he would have been uh, sky's the limit. But uh, still an awesome performance, gritty performance from everybody involved. And again, the Hawks win this game shooting 37% from the floor. Uh, You know, turnovers non-existent, all that stuff, but uh, a memorable effort in front of a memorable crowd and a good win, obviously, for Atlanta in this game. Last thing before we get out of here on this fine Monday and a Tuesday is a piece of news quickly here. The Hawks were officially shut out of the league award voting with Clint Capella not making either of the NBA all-defensive teams. They were announced on Monday before the game. Capella finished third among centers. Technically, you could say he was fourth because Bam Adebayo finished with more votes than he did, but he actually was at forward technically on the final overall ballot, but um, guys were able to be voted on second um, on, wh- on whichever position they wanted to, at least a couple of those guys. I know Bam was one of them. Regardless, though, I said when the voting was happening back you know a month ago now, I would have voted for Capella, second team. I stand by that. I did say at the time, though, I thought Embiid was going to get the second team, and he, and he did. So no, no huge surprise, that at least to me, that Capella wasn't uh, on the first two teams, but I thought he was deserving of that. Still, you know, got a lot of second place votes. He was definitely in the mix. Uh, Rudy Gobert, by the way, was uh, unanimous first team, as was Ben, Sim- as with Ben Simmons. So no surprises there necessarily. But Capella was still awesome this season. I hope that's remembered. So uh, he didn't quite make it, and the Hawks did not have anybody um, get on any of the national award ballots in terms of the you know the top threes or wins or any of the teams. But uh, Capella was awesome this season. So keep that in mind moving forward. And the rest of the series. So. At this moment, as I'm recording this, I have not seen a series price yet from our friends at AG. I'm looking right now as we talk, just to make sure I haven't missed it in the last couple of minutes. Regardless, though, I am going to estimate in educated fashion about what it's going to be. 
the rest of the series. I'm going to just kind of talk around it because I haven't seen the actual number come up yet. Um, the Hawks, I'm sure, are going to be underdogs in the series because, number one, Philadelphia's the number one seed, and number two, they have two of the three games at home. Now, uh, if it's the Embiid from game four and or uh, even more limited Embiid, the Hawks have quite a good chance to win this series. Um, even if it's Embiid at full strength, the Hawks have a chance, to be sure. But uh, it cannot be overstated, the difference between game th- games one through three Embiid and games four, game four Embiid, that is a massive gap. We will, ne- we will not know until game five starts what's going to happen there because Philadelphia's been tongue-in-cheek, uh, to be sure, on Embiid's status as the Hawks were with Trey in his shoulder tonight. But um, that's a huge thing. So that's a big factor in the series. Regardless, though, I think the Hawks will be underdogs in Game 5. Provided Embiid plays, the Hawks will I'm sure be betting underdog at tip-off in Game 5. But that's one you want to get. Because obviously Game 7s get weird, but you have to go on the road. No one wants to do that. So I think the most likely scenario for the Hawks to win this series would be to win the next two games. Um, game 7s are just more difficult on the road, and that, that crowd would be just unglued. You'd imagine Game 7, they have more veterans, all that stuff. So a big one, obviously, in Game 5. Still, though, a massive bounce back here. You know, I saw some tweets from Hawks fans tonight. You know, part of this is, uh, you know, just heat of the moment stuff, but saying, like, look, even if they lose the series now, that was worth it kind of thing. And I I totally get it. I mean, it's one of those, that was a memorable night. The place was absolutely rocking. They tie the series. It's one of those, you know, massive comeback, crowd pop after crowd pop. That was a lot of fun. That's what, you know, that's what sports are about in a lot of ways. So that was a fun one that'll be remembered for a long time. And if the Hawks lose the series, then we'll talk about that then, but... They're definitely alive, to be sure, in this series right now. 2-2, go back to Philly, and Game 5 on Wednesday evening. I don't know my schedule yet for this week in terms of a podcast. I will have at least one extra show. I don't know if it's going to be tomorrow night or if it will be between Game 5 and Game 6. Um, but regardless, there will be three more shows this week. Um, both games, for sure, our normal recaps after, after 5 and 6. And then either a show... Tuesday night or a show on Thursday night. I'm not really sure which yet. I'm looking at my schedule, but stay tuned. The best way to find the podcast is to, is to subscribe. We did six shows last week, six shows last week. This week will be five. So, uh, you know, we're very busy on the podcast right now, but rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends um, on whichever podcast platform that you choose. You are also allowed to download the podcast in multiple fashions. If you want to uh, support the podcast above and beyond Spotify, Stitcher, Odyssey, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all those fun places. You can find us all there. Thank you, as always, for listening, and we'll see you next time.